Hi, this is Natalie Lander, voice of Kinsey, Tara Branford, Stargirl, and many others. You are listening to a W2Mnet podcast. You can visit W2Mnet.com for other podcasts about entertainment, video games, sports, and wrestling. And we're back. Good evening, afternoon, whenever you happen to be listening, everybody. And welcome as the W2M Network presents The Kickoff, a presentation of the W2M Network. That would make sense, you know, since we're on W2M. I am your host. My name is Harry Broadhurst. Thank you for joining us once again. We appreciate you listening. Joining me as per usual, the executive producer. I almost said as per usual, and then because I tried to say producer before I said anything further, the executive producer and your anchor man, Eric Watkins. Stay classy, W2M. The unprofessional, Jason. You're my boy, Lou Teasley. Back from a much-needed vacation. <laughs> Where his liver was the loser. Damn it, you stepped on my line. <laughs> and there is Randy Isbell. Yeah, I need a vacation after the Yankees. Not only lost three or four to Eric's Rays, but lost Stanton as per usual. Braves swept a doubleheader today as... Freddie Freeman, or not Freddie Freeman, excuse me, Ronald Acuna Jr. became the first Brave since David Justice to hit three home runs on the doubleheader day. I'm glad he got out of the system. Guess who the Yankees get next? We coming for you! Wait, I can't say that. Never mind. (laughs) Hey, hey, Harry, don't worry. They've been to the Dome. We've softened them up for you. Just do the damn like you did to us. It'll be just fine. I mean, in fairness, yeah, they did the same thing to us in the dome that they did to you. So don't feel bad. They swept. They beat us two in a row in Tampa Bay. Hmm. Ah, good to have top field advantage. I wonder how we can translate that to Quebecois French when we move to Montreal. But anyways, right, that's on the next quick. episode of First Pitch. Real quick, before we go any further into tonight's episode, I feel like I'm having to do this constantly. This one doesn't hit close to home, but it is in the world of professional wrestling, which three of the four of us watch on a somewhat consistent basis. Rest in peace to James Kamala Harris. He doesn't have a leg to stand on anymore. Technically, he doesn't have two legs. He had both of his feet amputated. Yeah, but he had stubs. I hear you can make some mean barbecue. Stay classy, W2M Network. And that's my line! (laughs) (laughs) Alright, so here's the game plan for tonight's episode. We're going to open with some news and notes, as we usually do here in the offseason. And then we will continue our greatest of all teams theme. Hey, that rhymed. I'm a poet who didn't know it. Anyway. You can make a rhyme anytime. I can. And they're very sublime. Anyway. Um... We'll continue with greatest of all teams as we move over to the NFC South. You know, we only have two divisions left. Holy shit. We're actually going to finish this before the season starts. Who the fuck? Well, I mean, the season's starting. Yeah, that's Um, for next week. (laughs) Yeah, I was about to say, the season starts, air quotes on an audio podcast. (laughs) We'll talk about that next week when we have a more in-depth... I feel like we're kind of due for another. Uh, we're kind of due for another. Let's talk about an episode with everything going on. Yeah, 
Oh lord, yes, especially if certain phone calls go certain ways over the course of the next 48 hours. Family show! Not even those kind of phone calls. Get your mind out of the gutter. Now, granted, if I said text messages, that would have been completely accurate. There is that whole Power 5 thing, too. Um, we'll just kind of tease that a little bit. The commissioners from the Power 5 conferences are meeting to discuss the viability of a college football season and may end up pulling an FCS deep tease for next week's episode. There you go, Eric. I set you up for that one. Perfect. See, again, teamwork makes the dream work. Dun, dun, dun. Dramatic reverb. <laughs> Still my favorite bit. All right, so anyway, the Atlanta Falcons, New Orleans Saints, Carolina Panthers. I mixed those two up because I was I was trying to go alphabetically. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Eric, where are my Buccaneers? On your bucket Under head. Under your bucket hat. Thank you very much. Shout out to the Bob and Tom Show, Chip McGee. Here's to you. And we will have the greatest offensive and defensive players for both all four of those teams with a little bit of controversy mixed in here, specifically with the Atlanta Falcons defense. Why? Because damn you, Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. Yeah. It was bound to happen sooner or later. There were other people from Dallas we probably could have picked and left him for Atlanta. I picked someone else, but no. Yeah, like thinking about it in, in hindsight now, Leon Lett, Charles Haley. There are names. Regardless, we'll get to the NFC South a little bit later on. However, to start the show, like we usually do officially on the offseason broadcast, we go to our news and notes section, and that takes us. To the anchor man, Eric Watkins. Well, as I call this the Rona-free college football story edition, as well as the NFL, with all of the hard times in debating about whether there's going to be a season or not, one coach that might be relieved if there isn't a season is Gary Patterson, head coach at TCU. Yeah, back on our first Let's Talk About It, we didn't necessarily have this issue too much as far as the N-word. Who can use it, who can't, the A versus the hard R, etc. Well, Gary Patterson kind of put his two cents into that argument inadvertently by supposedly using it. But as he claimed, he used it to try to tell a player not to use it. And that has turned into a little bit of a mess. Yeah, you shouldn't use the word ninja. See, that's, that's perfectly acceptable. Widely accepted no, as a substitute. No, it's not. You don't go ninjaing anybody who don't need ninja, Eric. That is the first rule of ninja. Yes, but not everybody goes to the full-on ninja school. Come on, now. Mm. If you uh, juke, you chop a karate kick, you might just take your leg off. Let's go ahead and discuss this kind of loosely here because this is going to tie into our Let's Talk About It episode that we do. Because in addition to discussing everything going on with COVID-19, we'll also discuss everything that's been going on with the continuation of the Black Lives Matter movement, of the social injustice movement. We'll talk more about that on next week's episode. For this particular situation here, um, if you are a white person... 
And I don't care what kind of white person you are. If you are a saltine American, that is not a word you should ever use. Ever. Period. End of discussion. I don't care who says you can use it. I don't care if you think it's okay for you to use it. It doesn't matter. You shouldn't use it. It's that simple. And Gary Patterson in a position of power at a collegiate university, damn sure shouldn't be using it. Especially in one in the state of Texas. Let's be fair. And it's not even something that I use really hardly ever. Yes, there are certain friends that I joke with that I say I give them a pass and all kinds of things. But even then, that circle is very, very tiny. And that's for a reason. It's just, I don't have it in my lexicon. A lot of the people around me don't have it in theirs. That's really how it should be. All I'm saying is, all I'm saying is I, waited at, I waited at that sign for a week, Eric, and you never showed up. Yeah, um, traveling, especially to South Alabama, not really the best of ideas for me right now. <laughs> Any of you in Florida, period, trying to go anywhere, not really the best of ideas right now. Yeah, about that. Hmm. Yeah. Keep it to yourself, Florida. Randy? No, I, I agree with you. It's not a word that I like to use, and it, it's just, it always makes me laugh when somebody wants to be all cool about it. It's like, it's just, why? Why do we need to throw this word around anymore? It's just, can we just move on from it? But no, because it's one of those words that people tell you not to say. People just like, no, I have to be this badass that can say it. No, just stop. Let me put this into perspective for you. You know that whole Karen thing that's happening right now? Yes. And how all these women are getting offended by being called Karens? And Yes. The, the main one was the one that was making the rounds on Twitter. The Karen, the word Karen is the new N-word. Uh, if you can't say the N-word, the word Karen is not the new N-word. Sit down and shut the fuck up before you actually get a manager who's pissed off at you. My mind just went in an entirely weird direction about that, so I just better shut up. Family show? Yes. Very, very long story, and one reason why I'm glad that I disabled TikTok and removed it from my phone. My Uh, mind has been working in very many weird places the last week. Gary Patterson, be better. You're the head coach at a prestigious Power 5 University's football football team in a notoriously racially ass-backwards state. Be better. Next story, Eric. Well, on to some lighter news. Depending, Yay! Okay. Depending on who, how you would consider it, uh, a couple of times on this show, we had mentioned uh, Tua Tagovailoa's younger brother, Taglia, and the fact that he had transferred. Good news. He was granted eligibility and is able to start immediately at Maryland. Bad news, Maryland's in the Big Ten. <laughs> Whoops! <laughs> I mean, this kind of ties into our, our, our COVID conversation that we're going to have next weekend. Yeah, it's like... Next week. Yeah, it's 
good that it's happening and under normal circumstances he would be able to immediately go and perhaps win out the starting position but 2020 well, we is like wait a minute normal what does that mean i'm here well we might as well kind of talk about that specifically there the big 10 has ordered all big 10 schools to shut down practice and an in indeterminate delay to the start of padded practices as well. One of the reasons the SEC came out and announced the fact that they were going to start as late into September as they were going to is because they were waiting to give it more time to see how things play out. The Big Ten is now realizing that they needed to do the same thing, give it more time to play out for their respective schools before even attempting to let these kids be on the field practicing in close contact with each other without running the risk of spreading it. And we'll he, talk. Yeah, we'll talk about that more because that's a very deep it's, dive. It's a, rabbit, it's a rabbit hole that we don't really have time to get into with tonight's episode, given that we're going to be doing greatest of all teams for at the NFC South here in a little bit. But the main thing about the uh, the, the Taglia Tagovailoa thing, and, and Gatun hype for that, by the way, <laughs> is... Honestly, I think I think college kids should be allowed to transfer without penalty. Yes, agreed. And the reason I, and the reason I say that is because all of these schools they set up these situations where they they lure multiple recruits in, multiple high level recruits into their programs, and there's no guarantee that any of them are going to have spots on those rosters there. And if they don't have spots on the rosters, that could lead to them losing their scholarships. And from what I have heard, I don't think it's universal across the Power Five yet, but there are conferences like the SEC and a couple of others that said that if Scott, if players opt out, which they have in some cases, that their scholarships would be honored. The only other issue is, yes, scholarships are honored. What about eligibility? That's going to be a greater thing to unfold if things progress like they are. There's, there's another conversation that I think we're going to need to have next week with our uh, with our COVID update as well with Micah Parsons. I think you need to add that to the list. Yep. Because of the fact that not only is Micah Parsons opted out of the season, he's hired an agent. Yes, there have been a few different players that have opted out for the focus of the 2021 draft. So, We'll definitely cover that next week. All right. Anybody have anything with ta with uh, Taglia going to Maryland and potentially going to be fighting for a starting position there? Or is this going to be just one of those waiting situations? <laughs> no, I'm I'm good on it. I mean, it's going to be a wait and see thing. I don't know what's. Uh, I think I think you should be able to transfer, especially with the way everything is set up this year, and not lose eligibility or anything, or. Um, have to, I think it should be an automatic transition, not a wait a year or you lose any any eligibility. Randy, anything to add here before we move on? Yeah, I'm the same. If coaches can switch teams, players should be able to, too. Especially when a lot of those coaches are the ones who recruited those players into the system. Yes. And then the, mm -hmm. their system's no longer there and the player doesn't fit the new coach. Yes, Absolutely. All right, Anchorman, next topic. Well, on some more kind of a mixed news situation and another follow-up to a story we previously covered, 
the saga that is DeAndre Baker and Quentin Dunbar. Good news. Quentin Good Dunbar. News, everybody. Good news, everyone. Quentin Dunbar can join Seattle, as he was not charged with anything due to insufficient evidence. Not the same with DeAndre Baker, who is looking at four counts of robbery with a firearm. Jason, what's the phrase we've used on the show many times? Play stupid games? Win stupid prizes. You bring a gun to a poker game, you deserve everything your ass gets. You don't want to lose money in a poker game? Don't fucking play poker! Yeah, and especially if you're doing that in a place like uh, here in Florida and in Broward County. Yeah, for every count, that's a mandatory minimum of 10 years thanks to our 1020 life law. So basically what you're saying is he's a prison bitch. A prison bitch. Of that we can't deny. Yeah, and well... You better hope that you go to a special prison and they'll take care of you so you can at least get some knee pads and be on the football team. That's all I'm saying. Oh, you know he's going to end up in a federal prison if he ends up doing any jail. Not to mention, what are the odds of him doing jail time anyway? Come on. We all know the system, especially in that regard, is slanted towards professional athletes and politicians. Again, Florida. Looking how he looks. Some of those advantages are heavily negated. Mm. Randy, anything about the DeAndre Baker situation here? No, I, I think your stupid comment completely covered it. I just, I just copy Philip DeFranco and say, "Don't be stupid, stupid." <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, what's what's the old what's the old quote from Red Foreman? So, what do I get out of this? You're lucky you don't get my foot in your ass. <laughs> you I miss that 70s show. Well, maybe not so much I because, you know, bad person. But still, I miss that 70s show. Oh, that just set me up for a perfect thing, but I don't know. Somehow a prison rape joke just doesn't quite punch through the hole, you know what I mean? Oh. I had to. You what? should be ashamed of yourself. One certain thing coming to my head, it's like, I may as well. That's why I've been tweeting interesting things at Squid Sports Head. You're, you're, you're not my boy, Eric. <laughs> but you're my boy, Lou. <laughs> <laughs> Next topic, Eric. Well, as we're on into the off-season that is the Carnival of Dumbassery, Oh, the Washington football team. Wait, 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 before, before we continue there, I hereby petition that we file a trademark for that and officially dub the 2020 offseason as the Carnival of Dumbassery. Uh, copyright, E-A-W-H-E-B-R-I-J-T, 9th of August, 2020, W2M Network. But is it, is this crazier than any other offseason? It seems like every offseason there's a bunch of dumbassery. But it doesn't well, this, get in carnival <laughs> format. It doesn't get yeah, that this bad. this is a little higher than normal. <laughs> this is this is our first time calling it a carnival. Therefore, I'm I'm looking for future copyright claims here and per, perhaps Perfect. t-shirts. 
Yes. Continue. Washington uh, the Washington team. football team, where of all people that are actually talking instead of the people who should be, new head coach Ron Rivera said, things are happening, culture's changing, it's a different day. Well, Darius Geis decided to put that to the test. Um, in a little situation, hemmed up on domestic violence charges, and is now out of a job. I believe it is at this point that I quote Friday and have two simple words for one Darius Geis. By Felicia. I mean, he said, literally. He said, Geis, Ray Rice, Kareem Hunt, y'all, y'all, need to, y'all need some help. Y'all need Jesus or something. I don't know. It would be one hell of a backfield, though. Well, I mean, Kareem Hunt is landing in Cleveland now, so we'll see what he's capable of now that hopefully his, his off-field issues are behind him. I'm Let's... surprised he lasted this long in Cleveland, to be honest, because with only a slight disrespect to Cleveland, it's still Cleveland. Um, I can answer that for you. Have you ever been to Cleveland? No. There are no women worth beating in Cleveland. Okay. Uh, that? <laughs> All right. I can see that. Okay. Uh, all right. I need to explain the laugh. We do we do a video format while we're recording the podcast, so that way we can try not to cut each other off. And Randy's face was the most, I can't believe he just fucking said that look I have ever seen a person have in my life. The problem is I was sitting here trying to think of anyone that I know from Cleveland that's female, and I can't think of any, so you probably win. Unless the Miz is in living in Cleveland, so Maurice, but I think they're in California now. But they live in Texas, actually. I, no, they're I back know. in California. Oh, they're, they're back. Yeah, they're back in California. Yeah. That's right. Season two, they moved back. I know one, but she's not in Cleveland. She's like in the suburbs. Apparently, we're not hot in Cleveland either. That's my second television reference of the week that's popped, Eric. And it's weird, I I... <laughs> it's weird oh, because God. I'm the only one that gets No, I'm just, I'm just not sober enough to pay attention. I know I popped Eric with my comment on Friday about the game, the rain out in the Braves-Phillies game. Yeah. Did you, happen, did you happen to see that, Randy? I did not. Apparently, it's not always sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, there you go. <laughs> All right, anyway, FX and Nickelode- Nickelodeon shows aside. Yes, Hot-, Hot in Cleveland was a Nickelodeon show, although technically it was Nick at night. With Betty White, no less. And 2020, seriously, you, kill- you keep your filthy fucking paws off of Betty White. I've never tried to fight a year, but if anything happens to Betty, me and 2020 are scrapping. Yeah, I'm already staring down 2020 about what's been happening, or in my case, not happening so far. Very lightly issued family show here, but moving on. Uh, Anybody have anything else about the Darius guy situation? Just real quick here before you guys comment, I just want to say here, if you are a professional athlete... You need to stop putting yourself into these situations. And we talked about this when the Kareem Hunt thing came up. And I know you remember this conversation, Eric. 
I do. These guys have these guys have bodyguards. These guys have agents. These guys have managers. I'm pretty sure you could probably find a woman to hit this for you. Or if, if you're going to, to if you're going to do that, you reach out to me. We go and settle this on dark Twitter, and I can help you find the appropriate places in your city where you're playing, so that way you can do this consensually. I am obviously kidding with my comment there. What I mean is, you cannot be laying hands on a woman if you are a professional athlete. How fucking stupid can you be? Again, I was only half kidding with mine, but I'm like, hey, any, any athletes, I'm available. We can talk about this. <laughs> Randy? Yeah, I just applaud the rest of the NFL for not picking him off of waivers. You, I mean, you see this all the time where a team will do the right thing and, and drop somebody, and one another team will go, yeah, but he's talented, so we'll Clean use him. So, yeah, good for the entire rest of the NFL for not picking this guy up. Jason? Present. Thoughts on the guy situation? Uh, he's going to land somewhere. I mean, it's a given. But um, I, I think, you know, I mean, it's possible he doesn't. I mean, look at Ray Rice. He hasn't. He after kicked he, his way right out of the NFL. Yeah, he said mama said knock you out in the elevator, and that's just what he done, and he hasn't sniffed the NFL paycheck since. But then on the flip side, on the flip side, you got Hunt, who signed uh, with the Browns as a kicker, and, you know, is still getting a payday. But then you have, like, somebody like Roethlisberger, who, you know... No, we're not going to do... Cause no, have- I'm just saying, who, who has allegations, but is still... I mean, there's no consistency. Goodell is not consistent. So and We can agree on that. I think I think he will get a second chance. Do I think it will be immediate? No, I think it's going to be the 2021 season. But I see him signing with somebody. Um, and surprisingly, I think it's going to be a West Coast team that their rookie sensation is not going to pan out, and he would be a perfect fit if he can stay healthy in the, for that backfield. And you heard it here first. I'm talking about the Rams. We will discuss more with the season previews as far as players and everything such as that uh, in the coming up weeks here on the show. Um, If you believe the word that's going around right now, we might have some time before the season starts. So, Hey, don't burst our bubble because you can't build one. I like that. Well played. Hmm. Again. Off the dome. <laughs> and we will discuss the whole bubble thing, too, when we do our episode next week and the fact that the NBA and the NHL have basically have it figured out entirely. Fuck you, Barry Trox. Sorry. There have been a grand total of exactly zero positive tests in their bubbles. Hmm. All right. Yeah. What I said. All right. That's our last news story, is it not? Yep. That's it from the news desk for this week. All right, real quick, um, to close out the guy's story here, and I think we can all agree with this, congratulations, Ron Rivera. Again, the man meant what he said. He shouldn't have been in the spot to be the guy representing the organization, but 
kudos for really sticking with your guns on this one. To be fair to Rivera, I would trust anything that Rivera says a hell of a lot more than I would trust anything Daniel Snyder says. I can also concur. So shout out to Ron Rivera for doing the right thing as well and setting an example that in Washington nowadays, these kind of actions will not be tolerated. It is a new day and a new dawn for the Washington football team. So you're saying it's a new life for them? It's a new FedEx, perhaps. Hmm. Different delivery, different day. Anyway, moving on. I had a different joke there, but then I realized that it didn't work, so... Look, I thought I had teed it up with the song lyric, but again, that was another one that was apparently only better in my head. Okay, so... <laughs> yeah, there's no real way to segue out of that, so we're just going to do it. Um... Um, the NFC South, greatest of all teams here. I don't think we've ever had this much discussion amongst the four of us in our pre-shows. As much disagreement here between the four of us in our pre-shows here. Like, there are a couple of people that are going to end up walking away with wins because of the fact that we were so split. But there were not a ton of unanimous selections on this one. Well, I mean, considering the colorful histories of these four franchises, if this was going to be the one that was bound to trip us up. And I know myself, Jason, and Eric were different on Atlanta offensively, so the three of us will state our case, and then Randy will break the tie. Sounds good. Jason, I almost went with your pick. However, I decided to go with the person getting him the ball rather than him himself. Why don't you state your case for your selection and one of mine and Eric's honorable mentions, wide receiver for the Atlanta Falcons, Julio Jones. I mean, the Julio is the epitome of the offense in Atlanta. I mean, you know, you guys are going to say Matt Ryan and everything, but Julio is... Uh, by far going to outlast Ryan and will not only has not only cemented his legacy, but will continue on building upon that legacy. Now, I, I had some other honorable mentions here. Um, you know, I had um, I had Matt Ryan as an honorable mention and Roddy White as an honorable mention, but I think Julio is the go-to guy when you think of the Atlanta Falcons. Um there's a couple other people, but I think when doing the research and comparison, I think they kind of fell off of those three names that I just mentioned as being cemented in that greatest of uh, all time in the Atlanta uh, Falcons franchise. Since you specifically mentioned him by name, I will go ahead and do my selection next. My selection was the aforementioned quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons, one Matt Ryan. 189 career starts in the NFL with a 109 and 80 record, better than Eli Manning's. But no Super Bowls. Six. Yeah, we'll talk about that here because that's actually going to be part of the conversation that we'll bring up in regards to this. 28-3. A 65.4 career completion percentage, over 50,000 career passing yards, 51,186 to be precise. 
321 career touchdown passes, 147 career interceptions, 1,295 rushing yards with nine rushing touchdowns as well, even though Ryan is not exactly known as being fleet of foot. Here's the biggest knock on Matt Ryan. He is not postseason reliable. Ten career postseason starts with a career record of four and six. And the aforementioned 28-3 blown lead against the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl. Eric, I ask you, I stand by Matt Ryan as my selection. Does that Super Bowl hurt Ryan's legacy in Atlanta? Absolutely, because when you look at just the circumstances of that game, how close and how much of a checkered history Atlanta has had, some are still licking their wounds from the loss to Denver. You win that game, you are pretty much a hero. You had, let's just say this now, one of the greatest sports dynasties ever arguably the greatest in a generation. You have them in what is normally such an insurmountable position in the Super Bowl, knowing they are vulnerable in that game if you close them out. Jason knows that all too well. You just go ahead and you don't have to be magnificent after that point. You just have to be consistent, play within yourself, and seal the deal. You're remembered really to the end of football fandom and time. Now you're remembered for the exact opposite. You continue the legacy of choking. You continue the legacy of coming up short. You continue the legacy, and begin really the legacy, of blowing tremendous leads as an Atlanta sports franchise. Come on now. that For something like that, your one big moment, and let's say you haven't really had too many, but your biggest one and you're known for coming up that far short, yes, that's going to hurt your legacy. Eric, that was mean. As an Atlanta Braves fan, that was not nice of you. Look, you still won a title in 95. You have that to hang your hat on. We should have won in 96 as well if we had it collapsed. All right, so I picked Matt Ryan. Jason picked Julio Jones. Eric, you cast the third vote here, and your vote is different than ours, but still reminiscent of a time when Atlanta was in Super Bowls. Yes, they had just come off of one few years prior. They were, of course, rebuilding because, hey, Chris Chandler was, well, Chris Chandler. So you get this dynamic two-way athlete out of Virginia Tech. You go in there, you kind of throw him in a little bit, let him do his thing. All of a sudden, he creates a buzz. Hardly anybody knows how to stop him. Everybody with all of these different dynamic looks and everything, he gets you wins. He breaks the Green Bay Packers playoff mystique. He gets commercials about him, all of these things. And you, from being the mediocre city where you were since the early 90s, are right back on the map and in style. That man was Michael Vick. I am well aware 
of everything that went happened with the dogfighting ring, everything subsequent. I'm well aware that on the field, especially as a passer, he wasn't entirely the best. But think about it. You think of offensive players. You think of certain games. You even think of certain moments. You think Michael Vick more than anybody. Randy, you have the tiebreaker here, and surprisingly, you actually do side with one of us. Yeah, I wish I would have looked at you guys' picks before I made it, so I could have made it a four-way tie and had some fun on Twitter. But, to me, it comes down to the two quarterbacks. And one quarterback spent his entire career throwing to Julio Jones and Roddy White. I'm going to ask you a question here, and Eric, you cannot answer. Because okay. I know you're the walking encyclopedia. Trademark want, pending on that. Right, Harry and Jason to name one wide receiver that Michael Vick threw to that was not Roddy White in his rookie year. Uh, I know there. I know his running back. I couldn't give you his receivers. Yes, Jason. I think Jason fell asleep. <laughs> that or he's googling right now and trying to be subtle about it. No, I can't think of one right <laughs> off. I think. I mean, the only person that I can think of, even from that offense out of Vic, is work done. Um. I would go Jamal. I would go uh, Jamal Anderson. He of the Dirty Bird. No, I mean did yeah. I, did Dirty I, Bird was before Vic. Yeah, Anderson. Anderson wasn't uh, with Vic. Uh, it was work done. Uh, that's the only other person I can think of in that. In that, I mean, I'm, I'm looking now, at it now. I mean, yeah. Now I'm curious. Yeah, Eric, didn't know any? Randy, you fucker, you stumped the squid. I tried, and I'm like, I got nothing. I got nothing. The only, the only pass catcher that Vic ever played with that was worth a damn, other than Roddy White that rookie year, was Algie Crumpler, and he's a tight end. Yeah. So got name, got names like Brian Finneran, Des White, Michael Jenkins, and old Peerless Price played on Atlanta. You had... Junk that See, played I'm with Michael Vick. I'm my ass because I should have known those names, but I'm like, it's tough. I, I had this debate with we, we bring him up all the time, Robert Taylor, obviously the Mahomes lover. And my debate Ooh. with him, my debate with him was if you gave Michael Vick the rest of the offense of Kansas City, Vick would have broke records. Oh, I agree. With how good he was. I agree. Could you imagine Michael Vick with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and Sammy Watkins? It's just ridiculous. He had no one on his team, and he did everything himself and still would make the playoffs. Not to mention, lest we forget the 99 Madden ratings. Uh, Real quick here, speaking as a Buffalo Bills fan, it would depend on which Sammy Watkins he got. Correct. I'm just talking about that speed because Vic had one of the strongest arms I've ever seen. And all he would have to do is run around, run around, and then throw it 60 yards. I mean, that's how the Atlanta offense would be. All right, so 
we mentioned we mentioned the thing with uh, with Matt Ryan in the twenty eight to three Super Bowl game hurting his legacy here. I think Vic has the same argument in that his legacy is forever tarnished by the dog fighting ring. Of course, of course. I, I think his bonehead decisions in his real life messed things up. Yeah. He, he did his time, had a great redemption with Philadelphia. But, I mean, honestly, six seasons in Atlanta, played, played on a junk team the entire time, changed the game completely. What? We, we were talking earlier about, or in an earlier episode about Bo Jackson and how, like, non big or non huge NFL fans are going to know Bo Jackson from his commercials or, or Tech Mobile. Well, right, Michael Vick has met an 04. He was he was the broken player in that game. Mm-hmm. No, not to mention, didn't Vic also wasn't Vic also on the cover of ESPN 05 as well? Back when ESPN had Probably. their own, back when mm-hmm. ESPN had their own football game. Um, so, nine, I mean, he was just so. He was uh, Michael Vic was a player. You, you just told you you can't play as him in Madden 04. It was just he broke that game. So he's a guy that's always going to be remembered. I, I disagree with you guys a little bit. I don't think that the Super Bowl loss is going to hinder Matt Ryan. I put that more on the coaching staff, really, because why aren't you running the ball and running the clock out that whole time? I don't really put that on Matt Ryan himself. But, of course, Super Bowl rings always go to the quarterbacks. Big losses like that were always going to put directly on the quarterback, even though there's 21 other people on the field. So I, I, I don't look at Matt Ryan and go – Oh man, if he just would have won that one Super Bowl, he, I would look at him completely different. But I, Vic was just so game changing. If he didn't have the dog fighting, I think he would have been a runaway, obviously for all of us. But but he did do some stupid stuff. So I mean, I, I understand ask, why you guys went somewhere else. Let me ask Jason this: as Jason's the no, the known dog lover on the show, does the dog fighting thing is that what kept you from picking Michael Vick? Or are you that adamant in your selection of Julio in terms of no, yeah. no, because um, I mean the the dog thing didn't even affect my decision. I mean, yeah, Vic had you know he helped change the game, but he is just an updated version of Randall Cunningham, in my opinion. Um, Cunningham was doing all of that before Vic. Now, Cunningham wasn't as athletically gifted as Vic, but the style was brought forth by Cunningham. And, I mean, Vic just built upon what Cunningham, the foundation that Cunningham had already put uh, and have paved before him. And that's, I mean, I, I didn't even have, I had, I had, um, I thought about Vic, but, I mean, when you're a quarterback and you rush, I mean, you have over a thousand yards rushing, that takes away from me. I mean, move to the backfield, put another quarterback in. And that's what really, in the end, made me choose because Vic was actually my fourth selection um, behind Julio, Matt Ryan, and Roddy White. I mean, I mean, I even had a kicker in my top five. We, um, go ahead. No, I'm uh, you're referring to... to Gary Anderson, right? Yes, Flipper. Um, yes, I was, I was waiting. Gordon Anderson. 
Or Morton, excuse me. Yeah, my apologies. Yeah, Gary was with the Vikings. Because yeah. I, actually, I actually considered a kicker for one of the other teams in this division. Yeah, I mean, we were, we was we was held up with uh, the Tony G. Yeah, Morton Anderson was my was my fifth pick. Um, but I mean, like I said, I don't. It, it wasn't that that uh, that hurt his his thing on me. It was pretty. It was more of the the overall athletic giftedness of Julio Jones. Yeah, I mean, that's like. That's like, you know, back, you know, I picked Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson revolutionized the game. Mm-hmm. He, was a two, he was a two-way athlete, athletic freak. But people have built upon that that groundwork that he laid, and people have built on that, uh, that have not got the recognition that I gave Bo Jackson, just like I took Cunningham as in the Eagles discussion, if you guys remember. Um, I was I was adamant about you know praising Cunningham, but Vic built on that a little bit. But now, if you take if you look across the NFL now, you have multiple people that you know built upon what Vic done. I mean, I mean I hate to say it, look at Mahomes, look at uh, Russell Wilson. I mean, both of those, Lamar Jackson to an extent as well. Oh, even yeah. more so specifically with Lamar Jackson. I mean, there's three names that we can name, name instantly that, you know, would we put those three three guys ahead of Vic? If we had to pick, if you had a sheet with those four names on it and had to rank them, where would you rank Vic? Uh, ahead of Jackson right now. Probably level with Mahomes, just based on the fact that Mahomes only has two seasons of activity thus far. I would put Russell Wilson ahead of Michael Vick. Especially for overall, like, accuracy and things and field vision. I would have to go with that. See, I would I would, I would, would go Wilson, Mahomes, Vick, Jackson. And the only reason why I put Jackson so low now is because I think that he he is still raw and he's still developing. Very, very much so. Mm-hmm. And I think once he develops, he's going to be the best out of the four. But all right, so that moves us over to so that officially gives the win to Michael Vick for the Falcons offensively. I'm not I'm not upset about this. Like this isn't a this isn't a Jerry Rice and his quarterbacks conversation to me. Vic and Ryan are one A, one B for the Atlanta Falcons organization at quarterback. So it doesn't bother me at all that Vic ended up beating out Matt Ryan. I think as a more modern fan and having seen more of Matt Ryan's career play out in front of me, I think that's kinda of why I lean that way. But again, that's a conversation we've had many times during this greatest of all teams thing. So let's go ahead and move on to the defensive side of the Atlanta Falcons. And this was difficult because the Dallas Cowboys fucked us. By taking Deion Sanders. Oh, that. Oh, Eric, you have a I slight echo. Just a heads up. I don't think it did. No, I don't either. I well, mean, I, think, I like my pick, but I mean, yeah, I think y- y'all pick... make your cases because this was the first time in the history of the series where I was like, 
Oh. Randy, you were the latest to the party for this one, but I'll let you go first here. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's it's Jesse Tuggle. I mean, you just look up his stats; it's ridiculous. He had a a three season stretch there at ninety, ninety one, and ninety two, where he averaged two hundred tackles a season. Good Christ. That's ridiculous, right? I mean, once I looked that up earlier today, I went, I'm sold. That's an insane amount of numbers. And keep in mind, Atlanta was still in a very competitive NFC West back then. I'm going with Keith Brooking, the linebacker. 225 career games played, 1,434 Combined tackles with, uh, or excuse me, um, yeah, 1,434 1, combined tackles. Solo, 1,094, 340 assisted. 22 career sacks, 9 forced fumbles, 10 forced fumble recoveries. 13 interceptions in his career as well. No interception touchdowns, no fumble returns for touchdowns. However, we were talking about the Super Bowl teams for for Atlanta back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And the, the one thing that those two Super Bowl teams for Atlanta had in common was Keith Brooking on defense because he was an Atlanta Falcon from 1998 until 2008. So there's a 10-year career of activity with the Falcons, and in of those 10 years that he played with the Falcons, he played in every game Seven of them. He only right. accepted his first three years with the team. I got a question. When was he drafted? 1997. What round? I do not know. I can look it up if you give me 30 seconds. Well, first in round. The Ro- in first the round, pick. In the Rocks, worth, it doesn't matter because uh, I'm agreeing with Randy here and taking Tuggle, who was undrafted in 87. Finished a career with a total of 1,809 tackles, 21 sacks, 6 interceptions, 5-time uh, Pro Bowl. I, I mean, I think when you're taking a – when you're a first-round pick, you're expected to, to do that. When you go undrafted and you put up these numbers and you get your number retired not only on a professional level but a collegiate level – I, I, you know that that has that has some some merit to it. So I'm going to have to agree with Randy and take Tuggle as well. Eric, are we sending this to a vote, or are you going to make it three to one? I've got to make it three to one because, and not just with Brooking and the argument that you had mentioned with statistically, Jason had a point as far as draft position in the first Expectation. round. Expectation. Right, but here's my other rub. You said it yourself with those in on both teams with like those Super Bowls. With that first one, Dan Reeves had a very well constructed team that, yes, he had to build a little bit, but he made something out of it. Do we really want to point out? the Jerry Glanville years in Atlanta? Yes, there were some stars, 
but who else was really around them? And to shine like that, especially on those teams, I have to go with Toggle. That, to me, is much more of a convincing situation. All right, so we're going to move on here. Congratulations to Jesse Tuggle. He is the official greatest of all teams for the Atlanta Falcons defense. We're going to move on here. And we talked about game-changing players. There is an organization in North Carolina that has one, but I don't think he's the face of the franchise yet. Ironically enough, to me, the face of the franchise offensively is now in New England. When I think Carolina Panthers offense, I think Cam Newton. It's okay to be wrong. I think about the fact that Newton led that team for as long as he did coming into there to basically be the heir apparent to Kerry Collins and having that franchise on his back for the better part of the last decade. Okay, so we're obviously going to talk about the running back for Carolina currently here and arguably the best running back in the National Football League in run CMC. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about – oh, no, I know we're – I know, but I know we're going to talk about him here in a little bit. So we'll get to to Christian McCaffrey here shortly. I know you have a different selection as well as you picked a teammate of both Gary Collins and and Cam Newton. We also talked about the expectation thing with Newton being a first round draft pick and not only a first round draft pick, a high first round draft pick at that. The thing is, is I think there's just as much pressure on those high first-round draft picks to perform as there is in the surprise of an undrafted player putting up the career that they would put up. Because you got to think with great with great with great pick is great expectation, no? Yeah. So for Newton to have the career that he had in Carolina outside the last two years, where things kind of went to hell in a handbasket for him, you got to think that everybody in the Panther franchise is. A, more or less satisfied with what he did other than the fact that he didn't bring them the Super Bowl. And, well, there's a lot of arguments about that one. I will just leave that out there. Um, Jason, I remember seeing your pick, and I actually gave him an honorable mention when me and Eric were discussing it, so I, I do not disagree with this selection. In terms of overall human beings, maybe one of the best to ever play in the National Football League. One of the best wide receivers to ever play in the NFL, I will grant you. I just don't think he was as much of a face of the franchise as Cam Newton was. I I disagree because Steve Smith actually could complete the season and not get injured during the season and could actually survive 16 games where Newton could not. That's that's why I'm giving Smith the nod over Newton because uh, when – Carolina was a budding franchise. You was looking for that superstar to be the face of the franchise, and you found Steve Smith, who was arguably a beast of a wide receiver. I mean, you said he played with Kerry Collins. I'm pretty sure he played with just about every quarterback imaginable, uh, as he did spend, uh, I think it was 13 seasons, uh, 12 seasons in Carolina uh, before going and finishing his career up in Baltimore. I mean, he had a uh, Terry Collins uh, cam, uh, and he still managed to put up 
uh, over 14,700 yards uh, receiving with 81 career touchdowns and a, and a respectable 1,031 receptions uh, for that yardage. Also, a lot of people don't remember, Smith was also a kick returner and who had six touchdowns and over 4,000 yards as a kick returner. So he was kind of a utility player too, only, but predominantly known as the wide receiver role that he played in the franchise. So I, I give... I give Steve Smith the edge over Newton because um, without Steve Smith to put uh, Carolina on the map, uh, there would be no uh, Panthers franchise for Newton or, uh, you know, currently McCaffrey to uh, be thriving in without laying that groundwork. Randy, you agreed with Jason here. You went with Steve Smith Sr. as well. Yeah, I mean, I can understand the argument for Cam Newton, but unlike what I said about Matt Ryan, I do put the Super Bowl loss on Cam Newton there with his blow-up with Denver and just the lack of effort there near the end of the game. Uh, So that one, to me, is is why I kind of knocked him down a little bit. Steve Smith was just so solid every single year. For Carolina, I mean, I mean, Jason went through all the stats already. He was also really good in the playoffs, especially in that, that Super Bowl run in 2003 where he averaged over 100 yards a game in the playoffs. So, I mean, and if it wasn't for, you know, Tom Brady and those Patriots, he would have a Super Bowl as well. So I, I just think consistently-wise, I give it to Steve Smith. I, I, I can understand the argument for Cam Newton, and this one was probably my toughest one out of – all eight decisions in this in this division. Okay, uh, taking over for a moment. Harry had to step away, but it's actually sort of fortuitous timing because do either of you remember the quarterback who lost that other Super Bowl with Carolina? Um, trying to think. It wasn't Collins. It was. No. Oh, no, um, you can do it. Oh, it, oh, I know, I know his the names on the tip of my tongue. Oh God! Big pickup truck, because everybody saw him and said his perfect car would be a pickup truck. What? What am I missing? Uh, Harry, you may hate me for a minute because. They've kind of swayed my argument. So I put the question to the two of them. The quarterback who lost the first Panthers Super Bowl appearance. When was the first Panthers Super Bowl appearance? I don't know. And wasn't it Jake DeLome? Yes, Yes, it was. And seeing him... And the reason why that name comes to mind a lot, because he was one of three quarterbacks who were on that team. The other one was Rodney Pete. In that season opener, Carolina was right here in Jacksonville. Everything was going great for us in the first half. Rodney Pete got benched. Jake DeLome came in. Steve Smith had a big second half. There was a comeback. DeLome threw three touchdowns and two interceptions. 
They won. Stallone never lost the starting job the rest of that season. But had it not been for Steve Smith, considering the quarterbacks, as they mentioned, Stallone, Kerry Collins, Chris Winkie. Ah, uh, uh, Chris Winkie. Ah. Uh. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Florida State nightmare flashbacks. Uh. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, to be fair, even though it was a nightmare kind of for the both of us, look at what happened in him losing 15 in a row in Carolina. So, with all of that myriad of just there, Steve Smith kind of rolls a ball. Yeah. Steve Smith really rose above that, and I honestly think with his ignominious departure, the franchise did him dirty. And yes, that $5 word was just for you, Harry. So, as much yeah. as I... <laughs> as much as I was going towards and preparing to make my argument for Cam Newton, especially coming in in 2011, without an offseason because of a labor dispute, Coming in right away, 432 yards, passing, right off the jump in week one, breaking Peyton Manning's rookie record for passing yards that season, and what he's done since. I'm kind of feeling the Steve Smith vibes just a little bit more, because while that Super Bowl loss, I really think, got into Cam Newton's head along with everything that he did with the injuries, yeah, he was really there in the face, but Steve Smith Could, was the face first. Couldn't let us go to a vote, could you? He came to the dark side. Apparently you guys have cookies. And other things. And milk. And milk. I, I do like some milk. I will. I, I will. I will throw that out there. All right. So let's move over to the defensive side of the ball, and this one may actually end up as a tie. You guys, I know who you guys' pick. You guys' pick is, and I respect the hell out of him. Probably the best linebacker in football currently. He's retired. Well, was. You're, you're right. He did actually retire at the end of the last season. You're right. My mistake. Probably when he retired, though, was still the best linebacker in football. Mm-hmm. That that being said, the blueprint for linebacker in Carolina came with the expansion franchise and the player that they took first in the expansion draft, and that was Kevin Green from the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, but then he went to WCW, and that's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> at, at least he wasn't Mongo bad, though. I mean, at least... Uh. <laughs> But, he I wouldn't mean, have been if he lasted as long. No, yeah, he I mean, actually put together competent matches. Green Green tried. Regardless, back to my Mongo career. tried. Mongo yeah, well, tried. You know what? Mongo Mongo's a four horseman, so he's got you there. Yeah. But when I Darkest think of Kevin timeline ever. That that's that's the problem. When you think of when I think Kevin Green, I think of WCW, not what he done on the field in Carolina. Kevin Green is the man who led that Carolina Panthers defense to the NFC Championship game in their second season. Yeah, but I don't. But this is like, <laughs> you go with the name recognition. I mean, you you think 
like I said, when I think when I hear you say Kevin Green, I miss instantly go back to the nineties WCW failed pro wrestling Kevin Green persona, not what he done on the field. But when you hear my pick, you instantly think of You can say your pick, it's fine. When you think of Luke Kickley, you you instantly think of one of the most dominant linebackers that played, and you think of him anchoring that Carolina defense. Okay, but to your argument... You guys are forgetting how absolutely dominant Kevin Green was as a performer back in the 90s. I mean, yes, he is more well-known for his time with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I will be the first person to admit that. He is 100% more well-known as a Pittsburgh Steeler and part of the New Steel Curtain back in the 90s. That being said, he was the face of the franchise literally when the exhibition draft happened and Carolina selected him off of Pittsburgh when the Steelers left him unprotected. Not to mention, I mean, let's be fair, he was in a football gear for his appearance on Pros versus Joes, not a wrestling gear. So, if you're talking about remembering Kevin Green, let's put everything on the table. Pros versus Joes was a fun show. Randy, you picked Luke Keekley as well. Go ahead. Sorry, I just had to look up these stats for this dominant Kevin Green. Luke Keekley, in his rookie season, had more tackles than Kevin Green did in his entire career with the Carolina Panthers. Wait, what now? According to Pro Football Reference, the three seasons that Kevin Green played with the Carolina Panthers, a total of a combined 149 tackles. Luke Keekley had 164 in his rookie season. Luke Keekley was a made the Pro Bowl each of his last seven seasons, should have made it his rookie year, was a first-team All-Pro player in five of those seven seasons. Luke Kuechly was a better player than Kevin Green. Kevin Green was a better entertainer. He was a great character. He was fun in his WCW stuff. He was fun being part of Lawrence Taylor's team at WrestleMania 11. He's not going to get the pick over Luke Kuechly. Eric, I need some help. I need some help here. Oh, you're unfortunately not going to get that help from me this time. Well, he actually, I don't think he agreed with either of us. No, he didn't. And everybody's pretty much leaving me on an island, which is fine because coconut bras are very easy to remove. Yeah, but you got man boobs, so it doesn't help you any. Hey, hey, just because I'm an A-cup, there's still a nice handful. Family show. <laughs> that was an exacerbated family show. <laughs> but don't, exas- don't exacerbate in public. Yeah, because you'll get arrested, and public decency charges are no fun to fight in court. But Or you'll see trial. <laughs> Continue, Eric. Ten years, 133 games out of 154, six interceptions, 34 forced fumbles, 97 sacks. 
He was a bit of a hometown boy because he played at the University of North Carolina, started his career with a very strong stint with the Panthers, went to Chicago, Green Bay, came back to the Panthers to end his career, and had an 11-sack season at the age of 37. The entire time I think Carolina defense... The one name that came to my mind, and it was so perfect, especially at the beginning, Julius Peppers. Who else do you know along that front four? Yes, while Luke Keekly is great, and he was really the anchor of that defense at middle linebacker, really great command, and not just his physical ability, but come on. At a time where Carolina really needed pass rush more than ever, highly drafted Peppers, he delivered. He completely delivered. So, fun fact that I actually did not know upon looking up at uh, Pro Football Reference. Did you know that after that expansion draft, Kevin Green actually went to San Francisco for a year before coming back to Carolina? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did not remember that at all. Very few people I- do. I, I thought he spent his final four years in Carolina. Nope. No, I'm pretty sure that he wants to forget that he went to San Francisco as well. That was it just a does, tire fire. It doesn't matter. We're outvoted anyways here. It's okay. See, I like having Randy on the show because he agrees with me quite often. Uh, that may change, but so far, so good. and I are liking each other today. I, I'm his boy this week. You're my boy. See, you can't do it because he has a multi-syllabic name. I know that. And if anybody listens to Soccer to the Max, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. For those of you wondering, multi-syllabic is another one of those $5 words that Eric likes to throw in there every once in a while. That one's kind of more seven fifty ish I would say... I don't know. I think that's... I think that... No, I'd say ignominy is more impressive than multisyllabic. Fair. I'll give you that one. <laughs> All right. So, for the Carolina Panthers, Steve Smith Sr. and Luke Keekley carry the day. I can't argue either of those. No. Smith I mean, was one, it's, you can make Smith the was one of Smith was one of those once-in-a-lifetime wide receivers. Keekley is, again... In my opinion, even at the time that he even at the time that he retired, was probably still the best linebacker in football. And him walking away at the age of what was it, Randy? Twenty nine. Mm-hmm. Twenty nine. I caught him up. He wasn't ready. He's muted. No, it's twenty nine. I, I, I had page up. I had to just go back to it. Twenty nine. So, him retiring as early as he did when he was still arguably in the prime of his career. I, I would argue that that might hurt his legacy a little bit, walking away. As a, or does it add to the legacy Barry Sanders style? Barry Sanders style, in my mind. Yeah, I think so, too. Because I, we all agreed you weren't here for the NFC North, but we all agreed unanimously with Barry Sanders as the greatest lion of all time. You guys didn't go Joey Harrington? That's crap. I wanted to do Matthew made a glass Stafford, but I got laughed at. I mean, look, just because you beat Bobby Pesaveno in the Rose Bowl, ooh, 
Was that an Oregon Duck reference from Eric? Yes. Actually, I wanted, I wanted to go Rodney Pete, but I got then then I had to had to look into it and got outvoted. And then Jason uh, Skype yeah. shut down on him again, and he had to leave the conversation for like ten minutes. <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, you're our boy, Jason. I'm back. I know, but you weren't for a while there. All right, let's move on. Like, there was like two minutes. All right, so. Was I it actually believe... two minutes, or was it a drunk two minutes that felt like ten? <laughs> no, it was, an, it was an actual two minutes. Okay. Ah, oh, jeez, Eric popping me on air, you sub bitch. You're welcome. All right, I do believe this is the only one we are in unanimity for for this entire broadcast. New Orleans Saints offense, Miami. Ricky Williams. I was going to say Ricky Williams. Miami's fuck up is New Orleans' game. It is clearly Drew Brees. Oh, Ricky Williams went the other way. He went uh, from New Orleans to Miami. Okay, I got you. I got you. Sorry, sorry. Uh, apparently, the, apparently, the grass was greener in Miami. Quite literally. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I mean, that he was... also spent time in Toronto, which they've got some quality stuff. It's not Vancouver quality, but it's damn good. Is it as good as Regina? <laughs> <laughs> We're even. Jim Gaffigan, the Pale Tourist, Amazon Prime Video. You, you're welcome. Go ahead. Go ahead, Randy. Let's let's start our four person man crush on Drew Brees. Oh, it's just I mean, where do you start? Over almost five hundred and fifty total touchdowns, seventy seven thousand passing yards. Just dude's incredible. I this was a no brainer. I don't think we need to spend a lot of time because the dude's just ridiculous. Could play a couple more years. It's yeah. I, I mean, he's got I, a massive forehead. He's good for sound bites. He's Peyton Manning. He's he's not he's not remembered for his time as a Charger. I stand by my for the first two of those. I stand by my Peyton Manning comment, but that's neither here nor there. I well, feel like Eli Manning wasn't remembered for his time as a Charger, so you're in the right family. <laughs> I do believe we call that a callback on this business. Anyway. Um, I have three simple words to tell you everything you need to know as to why Drew Brees is the face of the franchise for New Orleans. Katrina Super Bowl. That's all you need to say. I've got two words to follow that. His work ethic. And the fact that he's a class human being helps too. You guys see the video of him playing catch with his son on the field after the NFC Championship game loss? Yeah, I did. That's a class act right there. Absolutely. God, if, and if the Saints didn't have the worst luck in the playoffs the last few seasons, he could have multiple Super Bowls. The argument could be made that he should have at least two rings because I, I 100% stand by this. I made this prediction. When the postseason started two years ago, I said Saints over Patriots in the Super Bowl back when the Saints got screwed by the bogus pass interference call. They had the bogus pass interference call. They had the, the ridiculous catch in Minnesota the, the season after. Minnesota miracle. And I, yeah, Harry, I was right there with you. A few straight years, I picked 
Saints over Patriots in the Super Bowl, and I said that whoever lost that Super Bowl, the, the quarterback was going to retire. That's where I was going. Brady Breeze in the Super Bowl, loser retires. Winner probably retires on a high note anyways. Still hasn't happened, and now we can't have it. They're on the same side. Now they'll fight in an NFC, in an NFC championship game, maybe, if Tampa Bay can get their shit together. Right. But you get to see that matchup twice a Twice a year, too. And I guarantee you both of those games will be national broadcast. Oh, obviously. They're going to be either a Sunday night or a Monday night game. Oh, hell no. Fox is going to be like, you see the money we're paying, bitch? Come at it. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, I I would argue that one of them will be Sunday night. The other will be a 425 Fox national. Hold on. Let me look. I don't even know. All right. while, While Randy's looking that up, let's go over to defense in New Orleans. And this one actually took some digging. But I think we may have come to a consensus on this one as well. Eric, the floor is yours to start with. Well, I wanted to say this last note as far as uh, Drew Brees. Okay, continue. Because there is one number, one number I want everyone to keep an eye on for this coming NFL season. 69. Diggity. No, that's another number that's completely different. The number I'm thinking of, 2,401. Let me guess. Let me guess. I think I might know the answer to this. Okay. Amount of yards Breeze needs for the all-time NFL record. Not the all-time NFL record. The The all-time Guinness Book of World Records. That's how close he is. And that's like combining every football league ever? Yes. The current record is held by Canadian legend Anthony Calvillo, who unfortunately had to end his career to a concussion, but he stands at 79,816. I'll make Calvillo's boy. Yeah, I know him. So, if Drew Brees can get to that number, he will have that record, and he is 2,500. 84 yards short of becoming the first quarterback in any gridiron league ever known to throw for 80,000 career yards. Uh, Randy, you looked at the NFL schedule. What did you find? Yeah, so I forgot. They actually play week one. Uh, That game is on Fox. It's going to be their second game. It's the afternoon game. The 425. And then it's week nine, and that is the Sunday night football game. I knew it. So, you're right. One on Fox, one on, on NBC, and there you go. All right. So real quick to, to, to touch on uh, the, the Drew Brees thing, one last thing before we move over to the defense. One of our main one of our mainstay segments on this show was buy or sell. It eventually warped into I've got a question, but I'm going to bring back the buy or sell portion of it right here real quick here. Eric, buy or sell, Drew Brees is the best quarterback in NFL history. Sell mm. mm. barely. Fuck. <laughs> Do not hurt my brain like that without notice. Buy or sell, Drew Brees is the best quarterback in NFL history. I'd buy that. Randy? He's thinking about it. 
best ever, I would sell top five. I would buy easy. I'm saying Breeze is the best NFL quarterback ever. I and mean, he's, he's no Eli, but I mean, you know, I got to <laughs> If, if he does that, get that second ring and that would put him in Eli territory, I'd buy it. But we just had this conversation a few seconds ago about the fact that if not for the worst possible fortune in playoff history, Breeze would have two and maybe three rings at this point. I completely agree, but if also if not for a surprise onside kick, he wouldn't have any. And if a frog had wings, it wouldn't bump its ass when it jumped. We can do if, ifs and buts all night, but the fact is he doesn't have them. Didn't you just say bye is the best quarterback ever? Why are you arguing against yourself? No, I'm I'm <laughs> saying I mean we can't we can't put the statistics on well if he done this, if he done that. Yeah, I mean you go on his you go on his uh, body of work. And that I mean, career wise, he's one he's the best quarterback in NFL. But I mean your people arguing, well if I would put him up there if this. You you can't say if that. That's like saying, oh, Dan Marino's would be one of the best ever. Oh, but he, he would be better if he won a Super Bowl. No, his numbers speak for themselves. Go on your merit. You can't go on, you can't go on luck. You can't hold uh, a luck against somebody. You can't hold a bad call against somebody to, you know, that changed the tide of the game. And actually change the outcome. You have to go on their body of work and what is done on the field. You can't play hypotheticals to, to say, well, yeah, it would take him to do this before I put him in that. No, you got, you go on, if he's there, he's there. You can't be like, well, if he would have won that game, that he had no control over because it was a bad call. That bumps his stock up. Okay, real I, quick about the whole hypothetical thing. Dave Damashek, if you're listening, at W2M Chairman, send your tweets that way. Thank you. Yeah, come on. Just I feel like this is a conversation that could be debated for hours on end. And me springing it on you guys last minute like that is just something that popped into my head without realizing the merit of the debate that that discussion would warrant. Let's move on defensively with the New Orleans Saints. And, Eric, I go to you. Yeah, I had to do a little bit of digging on this one because lest we forget the longstanding history of – New Orleans being the Aints. And in looking through some of the picks and kind of doing a little bit of research and everything because it's like, well, the kind of guy that I have, we had similar debates when it came to Steve Gleason and what he really did and what he really meant in post-career. I was leaning towards it. But like earlier today, I can be convinced otherwise. For the time that he played with the organization, for everything that he did in his tremendous statistics, I can make a very solid argument for Ricky Jackson. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm right there. I picked Ricky Jackson's mind. I mean, just the 44 fumbles alone in his um, – 38 of them as a member of the New Orleans Saints too, with the 49ers. Yeah, I'm just saying, his 44 fumbles alone being, you know, the statistic. Uh, I mean, it took a like, – like we all said, it took a little digging, but, I mean – you know, you come across his stat stats while being being a saint. I mean, you know, he's got six Pro Bowls, five second team All Americans. He's retired. He's uh in the Saints Ring of Honor, and he is a Hall- uh, Saints Hall of Famer. Uh, I mean, it's it's tough to you know. Of course, you know you're going to have to see some emergence. Now, because the Saints are starting to get better on the defense side of the ball, and you're starting to see young talent step up. But yeah, I mean, for the time being, Ricky Jackson is my my pick as well. One of the main things that we've talked about on this show before, when we've been discussing greatest of all teams, is longevity and durability. Eric, mm-hmm. thirteen years with the Saints. Yeah. And Care to guess how many games he missed? As a wasn't it like two? As a Saint? None. Zero as a Saint. Three as a 49er. And keep in mind, just keeping this in mind, these aren't, like we said, the good Saints. These were the Aints. His rookie year... 125 combined tackles, two forced fumbles, and a fumble recovery. Archie Manning was still the quarterback of that team, and they went 4-12. and Third best Manning in the family. No love for Cooper? Eh. I, I put Eli like fourth. Eh. Eli wins Super Bowls. Eli owns Eli owns Brady. Um, Randy, are we going unanimous on both sides of the ball here? Yeah, we're definitely going unanimous again. Like everyone else, I had to do a little thing because no name really popped up. Over eleven hundred tackles, but like the, the thirty-eight first fumbles in the thirteen seasons was the, the number that really stood out. Yeah, as you said, I mean, it's it Can was. I- Again, he's a name that doesn't really ring a bell because he played mostly before my time. And when I was watching football as a young kid, I wasn't watching a lot of the Saints. But his numbers do stand out, and he needs the recognition. So, Let's add two other impressive number, numbers to that total. You ready? 38 forced fumbles. 24 fumble recoveries as well uh, out of the 27. 28 27, yeah. Oh, 27 recoveries, 24 return yards. My apologies. Just as important, 115 career sacks. Keep in mind that his rookie season is the very first year that sacks started being counted as an official statistic in 1981. Second year, they were counted in 82. Oh, so then his second season was the first year that they were. So the number might even be higher than 115 as a Saint. It could be. They'd have to go back and look at the records like they did with 
beacon drones and whatnot. All I'm saying to that is, this is domination on a, on a Saints team that was garbage for the vast majority of his career there. Whoa, yes. Bum Phillips, Mike Ditka, even they couldn't save it. It was a whole lot of suck in a small package is what it was. And again, Giggity. also in the NFC West for a lot of that time. <laughs> I popped Eric. I heard it. Yeah, I got it. Right, let's move over one. to our final. Let's move over to our final team here, and for this one, me and Randy actually carried the discussion on this team offensively. Eric, your selection first. Jason will then make his, and then me and Randy will explain why you're both wrong. Okay. Remember when we were talking about the Redactants? Harken yes. all the way in the wayback machine to that discussion. Episode available in the archives on W2M Network, as well as on all of your favorite podcast listening services, such as iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Podbean, CastBox, Stitcher. Eric, we'll talk more about this later. Okay. It's coming. All right. <laughs> so, you remember what particular name I brought up in that discussion with oh, the Redactions? Exactly. He's my selection because think about when you talk about expansion franchises. Tampa Bay, as they would be called in the 80s, the Yuccaneers. But before that, it takes a lot, a little bit of scheduling, a couple bad breaks, but a whole lot of crap to go 26 games. 26 games and you lose them all. So the fortunes changed. You talk about the epitome of worst to first, lest we forget, it was Doug Williams under center for that 79 team that narrowly lost the NFC Championship game to the LA Rams 9 to nothing, And he carried that team well into the 80s before he left up north. I'm sorry, but especially if everybody thinks of those Orange Crush days, especially early on, at the old Sombrero, you think Doug Williams. Jason. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to go work done. Uh, my honorable mention is actually, my high honorable mention is actually your and Randy's pick, I believe. Uh, but, yeah, I mean... I, I like I like work done. I think I I think that you know he was he was the first real superstar running back for the Bucks uh, of the modern era, uh, and then of course you know I but you know your guys' pick is Adam Lee who I who I really enjoyed watching play, but I gave uh, I gave um, Dunn the edge. Uh, by the slimmest of margins. I mean, it it was one A one B for me. So go ahead, go ahead and pile on, because I mean, I could easily make this three one, or you know, it's it's going to come down to your pick anyway. So you go ahead and sing the phrases of who will be representing the Buccaneers on the offensive side. You know, we talked about 
while doing the course of greatest of all teams, how it always seems to come down to a couple specific positions, quarterback on offense or wide receiver linebackers or defensive backs on defense. You rarely talk about the fullback of a team Mm -hmm. with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in terms of their most dominant offensive player and the man who literally put fear into the hearts of linebackers that had to try to stop him. The man who is Tampa Bay offensively for me, the embodiment of the toughness that the franchise wanted to persuade everybody to believe was Mike Alstott. I mean, Warwick Dunn did call him a touchdown vulture in a commercial, so you got to put that out there. (laughs) I was just getting to that. 158 career games played as a fullback where literally your job description on almost every play is to get hit. 5,088 yards rushing, nothing spectacular, not by running back standards anyways. But when you consider that this is a guy whose primary job it was to either block for Dunn or to keep the quarterback off of his ass, and then the aforementioned touchdown vulturing, 58 career touchdowns. That is a touchdown every 100 yards. A little bit over a touchdown every 100 yards. Well, yeah, but I mean, that's great. And that's about what you would expect from an actual running back. But I mean, come on. The A-Train only made a few stops back in those days. (laughs) Let's also touch on the fact that he has 13 career receiving touchdowns for 71 total. So not only could Allstott walk, not only could Allstott run people over, Allstott had hands, too. Okay, okay, timeout. I'm not going to take... Wait, real quick. In the modern NFL era, the fullback position has all but disappeared. Mm -hmm. But if you are looking for the embodiment of it in the 90s and the early 2000s, it was Mike Allstott in Tampa Bay. Go ahead, Eric. Okay. your point. Well, again, I'm not taking away from the fact that especially those receiving touchdowns were very valuable. But let's look at those quarterbacks, Brad Johnson and Sean King. Brad Johnson threw a three-yard touchdown pass to himself. He didn't throw a lot, but random people get them. Maybe it's because they were so focused on the running back that Allstott just had to show the hands in order to catch the passes, Randy. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think that's what, if I was a, a safety or a corner pin, they do a little screen pass to Allstott, I'd get out of the way. But I'm not going to try to do an open field tackle on Mike Allstott if I'm a, I'm a little cornerback. That's for sure. Yeah, to me, Tampa Bay was another one that was really, really tough. But it actually was seeing Harry's picks and it made me remember Allstott, just all of the joking going on, you know, as a, a high school student about Allstott and going back and playing all those Madden games and stuff. There's not very many fullbacks that you can even really name over the, the history of the NFL that really, you feel like, made a, a big impact. And Allstott was just so fun. And you knew he was getting the ball on any short yard situations as far as first downs go. Like it's coming to Allstott, and you just could not stop him. But my question is, if Tom Brady lead, leads the Buccaneers to the Super Bowl in their his one season with 
Tampa Bay is he, is he Tom is he's Tampa Bay's best offensive player? I mean, no. it's not hard to get first in this one. No. And the reason I say no is because Allstott had an extended career in Tampa Bay where he was a focal point of that offense. And I would still say no myself because even uh, further arguing my point with Doug Williams, he took them from the dredges to three playoff appearances. Yes, one of them was in 82, but still, three in a matter of five years? I will say... I will say this much. There are people on Tampa Bay's team right now who I think can make the argument for greatest offensive player of all time in Tampa Bay. That's what I was getting ready to say. All three of them are in the receiving core. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was getting ready to say. I mean, um, I think Brady's, Brady being there elevates, you know, Mike Evans for consideration down the line uh, being the greatest buck of all time. Because Evans is an absolute beast of a receiver. Uh, I mean, you know, he played most of his career with Winston and still managed to have 1,000-yard receiving years. So, you know, and Winston liked to throw it to the other team. He was uh, the best defensive player for any uh, any team that he played against. So, Well, I, I, I will say Winston was fantastic for fantasy football, though. Because he would start the game throwing a pick six and then spend the rest of the game trying to play catch up. So it was fantastic. Yeah, he yeah he started start every game. He started every game negative two, and he'd end up with thirty every week. It was great. But I, I'm way more curious about this defensive one because I think this one's going to be a debate. Uh, Eric, yes. If only there were a fantasy football podcast to have these conversations here on the W2M Network. I know. I mean, there was one in the works, but then. I don't know. I, it, we just have an unfortunate habit with executive producers of this network. Shows just disappearing for no reason. And re- and people re-emerging in other places. It's like a Houdini. I'm, I'm once again going to make this reference. Please tell me somebody gets it. He fucking disappeared. I'm half drunk and asleep. I'm right here, guys. You guys not watch Jeff Dunham? I want to watch Jeff Dunham. Jeff Dunham doesn't even watch Jeff Dunham. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he just talks to himself. I mean, Randy's got a point. I haven't seen anything from that man in years. Like I said, Northern Irishman playing airport CEO, shout out to Conflict Nerd on YouTube, and Indoor Baseball World Cup. I am right there with you. Okay. I have plenty of those moments every day. All right, let's, let, let's progress. Well, the only thing left is the defensive side of Tampa Bay, and while I give an honorable mention to John Lynch, who, realistically speaking, did much more with... Tampa Bay than he did with Denver. I won't argue that. I do think we kind of dropped the ball on Vaughn Miller in Denver, but that's neither here nor there. To me, the greatest Tampa Bay Buccaneer defensive player of all time is Warren Sapp. And I disagree. Sapp was the face of the franchise back in their original Super Bowl run, back when, uh, they, when they beat the Raiders. 
that you can't tell me that that defense didn't carry that franchise then. Yeah, but I'm looking at the linebacker that carried that franchise. And I know who you're going to say as well, and I, I, I can see the argument for him, but I do think that Sapp played a bigger role, and not to mention Sapp was a much bigger personality. He's somebody that people associate with the team. Not Your to mention was he was a better good. end zone dancer. Your player was very good. I won't, I'm, do, you, do you mind if I go ahead and say it? Go ahead and say it. Garrett Brooks was a fantastic linebacker. I'm not going to sit here and deny that. That being said, Derek Brooks was outshined by Warren Sapp in terms of Sapp personality. Uh, 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 all right, let's let's compare. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. How many how many Pro Bowls does the Sapp have? Let me pull up his uh, pro, pro, pro Football Reference page, and I will answer that question. Go ahead and run down Derek Brooks' numbers that we can compare. Well, no, we're we're going to do a comparison. It's seven. Okay. Derrick Brooks. Brooks is 11. How many first-team All-Pros? Four. Derrick Brooks, five. Second-team All-Pros? Sapp is two. Derrick Brooks is four. Defensive Player of the Year for okay. one Sapp. 99. One and one for Derrick Brooks. Derrick Brooks won it in uh, 02. Uh, 100th anniversary team. Uh, I, I don't see I don't see one Sap on there, but I do see Derrick Brooks. Okay, see, you, you're looking at this from a purely speculative speculative thing. Uh-huh. The anniversary team. No, no, because the positions that they played. All right, he's got more Pro Bowls, more All-Pro, more second-team All-Pro. He won the Walter Payton Man of the Year trophy. He was named to the uh, the 100th anniversary team, named to the uh, 2000 All-Decade team. I mean, and I, don't, who, I, don't, I don't see this on Sap. But who got to the Hall of Fame first? When did when did um, let's see when did when did he go in? Thirteen. Let's see when Brooks went in. Fourteen. Oh, by a year. Well, to, I mean, to be fair, yeah, Sapp did retire one year earlier than Brooks. So they both yeah. in the same amount of time. <laughs> so, so he was one year. They were both first year first ballot Hall of Famers. So. Of course, uh, if you retire a year earlier, you're, you're earlier, you're going to be eligible a year earlier. Actually, it wouldn't necessarily be first ballot because your first ballot of eligibility comes in five years after you retire. If I remember correctly. Correct. Yes, that is the NFL rule. It's five years after you retire, you're out first eligible for the Hall of Fame. All right, I'm worried about how loud that fan, that fan sounds, so I'm going to go ahead and turn it back off here. Um, obviously, me and Jason have picked sides here. Eric, I think you have a little bit of a bias here. I have like, a – go ahead. But I, 
I don't think it swayed your decision too much. No, and I'm going to give an honorable mention to the OG, the man who has an expressway named after him in Tampa in Leroy Selman. He was there from the beginning, and again, in only the years that they measured sacks, he had 23 in three seasons. He was also a six-time Pro Bowler, an All-Pro, Defensive Player of the Year in 79, and a Hall of Famer, having accomplished that in only nine seasons. So if we're really going down that road, he's the man. That being said, who was the one who said, you score 17 points, we will win you the game? That was Warren Sapp. He flat out called the number 17. And what did they happen to average? Right about 16 and a half. In order to have a mouth, you better back it up. He had that mouth. He had the Beyonce shake in the end zone. But he backed it up. I gotta go Sapp with this one. Yes, as much as you can get a whole bunch of kids on a bus to sing your career praises, I want to be like Sap. Alright, Randy. Are we going to a vote, or is it a 3-1? to one? So Just looking at different things, obviously, I, I mean, give a shout-out to, to, to Rondé Barber and, and John Lynch. Just all right. Again, we talked about John Lynch. We put him on the Denver team. Rondé Barber was really good, too, but it was, it was down to these two. It was Brooks and Sap, both fantastic. Both First round draft picks in the 1995 draft. Both obviously stayed with the Buccaneers. I I sat went to to Oakland at the end of his year, but I mean, both drafted by Tampa Bay at 95. Uh, You know, at least my Jets drafted Kyle Brady tied into Penn State that year instead of Sapp or Brooks. I'm not bitter. It's it's really tough. And and Jason makes really good points uh, that just as far as the accolades awards goes to Brooks, I do think Brooks was possibly the better player than Sap. Sap was the personality and kind of that focal point for the defense. So because we haven't had one on this episode, and I'm really really curious, I'm going to say Derek Brooks. Only so Twitter can break the tie. Because I, I want to know. I really want to know what they're going to pick. Because it's going to be really interesting. And don't Sapp be said, too bitter about Kyle Brady. He did Jacksonville a great service during his career. And we <laughs> thank you for that. Hey, Warren, Pop Sapp- is, who, who, who is the number one pick in the 1995 draft? Because I forgot about this until I looked it up. And it makes me laugh still. Isn't it Kajana Carter? It is. And it's really good for Cincinnati. <laughs> oh, okay, to be fair, to be fair to Kajana, his career was was derailed by concussions. To be fair, his career was derailed because Cincinnati. Oh, there's that too. But uh, as as a Penn State fan and a known Penn State fan on this forum, Kajana Carter was an absolute monster in college. Yeah, so were guys like Spurgeon Wynn. Remember him? No. Okay, then. 
And no, I get your point. The, the thing with the the only reason I knew it was Kajana Carter was because of the Penn State tie-in. But Kajana Carter is one of those what could have been what could have been in the NFL that Jason talked about earlier, because of the fact that injuries clearly derailed his career. Jason, you're looking up something, and I'm curious as to what it is. No, I'm actually getting the getting the poll up so we can plug it at the end of the show. Okay, well, he's doing that. That officially wraps up, kind of, I guess, then. Um, we didn't have any uh, – we, we did a news and notes episode last time, correct? Mm-hmm. So we didn't, ha- we didn't have any greatest of all team polls to discuss for that. We do need to go back and make sure we write down everyone so we can go over the full run sheet once we get done with the AFC South next time when we do greatest of all teams, which will be slightly delayed because I do think we need to get another let's talk about an episode in with everything that's been going on in terms of the virus as well as the social injustices as well. The longer we wait to talk about the Jaguars, fine by me. Um, would your guys' schedule work out to do two episodes next week? One on Thursday, one on Sunday? Yeah, I could do it. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm, it's, it's a good possibility, yeah. So then what we'll do is Thursday's episode, which will come at you first to all of your favorite services, will be Let's Talk About It too, And that'll be our in-depth discussion of everything that's been going on with COVID-19, and we'll talk about the new stories that Eric pulled from the desk for this for this week's episode. We'll talk about we'll, t- we'll talk about everything going on in terms of the social injustice movement, and a lot of that will have to do with one of the major news stories that Eric pulled from this week's episode as well, with everything going on in the Pac-12. And the American, and the Big Ten, potentially the SEC. Basically, it's player unionization in order to get in order to get equal footing for all athletes. Hey, Northwestern, hope you're taking notes. This is how you should have done it. And then next weekend's episode will wrap up greatest of all teams when we go to the AFC South. The main event of which will be the Jacksonville Jaguars. Although, while anybody would want to discuss that god awful franchise, I have no idea. Then why do you think you call it a main event? That's insulting to main events everywhere. I'm waiting for a hashtag 10 to 3 comment here. I know it's coming. Well, obviously, but you can't set it up for that. But, I mean, hey, again, you have moments where you beat playoff teams, and then you had moments where you could have beaten other playoff teams if it weren't for Frank fucking Wycheck. And, God, I'm still so bitter. See, this is why we usually let Eric drink, because bitter Eric is not fun, Eric. No, and this is why I asked to spike my delicious dragon fruit mango lemon perfect water beforehand, but someone said no. I feel like we proved with last week's episode that maybe alcohol isn't always our friend on this show. I disagree. I actually yeah, my boy, no. I'm actually quite good when inebriated. Half the time you can't even tell. In fact, I bet to challenge our listeners to kind of guess which episodes I was drunk and which ones I wasn't. Uh, Jason, how long did this week's episode feel to you? <laughs> uh, it, it, it felt pretty long. 
I think we're right around an hour and 45, so I think that's going to be my cue to wrap it up. little bit after that, but continue. My point being that, Jason, where can people vote in the Warren Sapp and Derek Brooks discussion? Uh, you can find that poll on the at W2M Chairman Twitter account. Um, hopefully we share it across all platforms. If you do listen to this and you do have Twitter, feel free to share it after you vote to get the most votes in and prove Harry wrong. Where can people find you on Twitter specifically? They can't. I'm, I'm an enigma now. He's at Turkaglue822. Actually, I don't use that. I just use that to retweet stuff now. So then just talk to him on the W2M chairman account. If you follow him, you could probably DM him. Slide into his DMs and talk football. I'll tell you to go fuck yourself. No, I won't, I won't do that. I'm become. I'm on, okay, I'm still on vacation. I'm, I'm coming back. I'm a more mellow, laid-back person. I don't have to... I'm not having any episodes or anything. So, I mean, I'm back. I'm centered. There's no episodes that's kicked me from doing shows anymore. I'm very conscious, and I'm here for the long haul. My, my, my subscription to those issues has been canceled, just for the record. Randy, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me at Randy Isbell, and also check out my other podcast, Chapter Select. Uh, the second part of Ghost of Shushima will come out on Thursday, I believe, and you can check out that Twitter at Chapter underscore Select. Also, what's going to be happening sometime relatively soon is Randy's about to catch these hands in NBA Jam. Now in the coffin! He's on fire! I'm, I'm pretty happy with the little arcade I'm building in my, my dining room. It, it looks nice. I'm, I'm not like a huge Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle arcade guy. I have a couple of the games for my 360, but I wasn't big on the arcade game. But I do appreciate the NBA Jam arcade version. It, it brought back some flashbacks to many a quarter spent when I was a kid. Now, Harry, yes. you have to remember, Randy's on a quest to have the best arcade in Idaho. The, granted, the bar is very low, but damn it, you've got to appreciate him trying. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'll take whatever award I can get. <laughs> you got you to gotta question a state that calls itself a slut. I'm just saying. There, there's a lot of the things we question about here in this state. <laughs> Eric, where can people find you online? Oh, you can find me at Squid Sportshead on Twitter when I'm not retweeting live games and when I have very weird inner monologues and want to tag people for different ideas. Yes, Rock, I'm looking at you. Go ahead and check out my tweet. I tagged you in it for a reason. You can follow and see kind of what ideas I have and get an insight to my mind so you can tell me how awesome or how nuts I am. If you want to follow me on Facebook for any other kind of related business, especially in the hands of tutoring in this climate, absolutely no problem. Find me on Eric Watkins on Facebook, Guy, Recliner, Wine, you know the whole drill. And if you're browsing Twitter and you think, hey, this is really missing something in my life, slide into my DMs, you can go through a very strict vetting process. I'll get you access to my dark Twitter, Snapchat, Telegram, which things are really getting good. And yeah, everything will be copacetic. And as always, this plug brought to you by the fine people at Rick's TNT, LLC. 
affiliated with Dun & Bradstreet website coming soon. Highly recommended for multiple people. We're going to have to get Liz to do like a little sound recording for you to put over Rick's TNT LLC. Definitely. I feel like we could I feel like we could do that and just get a little sound bite and then we could have Liz giving you an endorsement that we just plug in at the end of the shows. Perfect. Let's set that up. Legit. At ATB the Eagle on Twitter, Facebook, Yahoo, pretty much anywhere that's social media related, I am ATB the Eagle there. You find me, talk wrestling, sports, video games. I'm starting to play more video games now. I'm not playing enough to do a podcast about it, Randy. But I am starting to play more video games, so, you know, whatever. I'm going to be getting my Xbox One set up. And if the rumors are true with the launch of the new Xbox, apparently multiplayer becomes free on the new Xbox. So I wonder if that backdates to the Xbox One as well. And if so, people are going to start getting this work in a couple of certain games for the Xbox One. How would you stop, stop playing on the worst system? You have a PS4, don't you? I have all three. I have all three. But but it's the worst system. Video game snob. Anyway. So you can find me on at ATB the Eagle on all of the social media accounts. Harry Hurst on Facebook as well. Uh, right now the picture is me and my buddy Tom who recently passed away. Uh, that will be changed back to a picture of me and my girlfriend shortly, but uh, wrestling, sports, anything you guys want to talk, by all means feel free to shoot me a message. This has been the greatest of all teams, NFT South edition of the kickoff, a presentation of the W2M Network online at w2mnext.com. In addition, you can find us on all of your favorite podcast listening services, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spreaker, Podbean, CastBox. Hey, Eric, guess what? Spotify is here. And you're my boy, Lou. Oh my god, that has to be our sign-off now unless we're actually calling somebody dicks. No, there's a certain coach that's not even going to be worthy of my time. We're good. Well, there is another one that is worthy of our time. Gary Patterson, don't be a dick! That works. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Kickoff, and we will catch you guys next week here on The Kickoff, a presentation of the W2M Network.